to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the August issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Drought-Stressed Corn, a Feed Opportunity. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by two of the co-authors, Brad Schick, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator, as well as Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Aaron. Happy to be here. Well, as we record this podcast, we're sitting here towards the end of August, and so many people have already made decisions around what they're going to do with their drought-stressed corn. Walk through with us some of the options that are available if people are still considering what they might do, some things to be aware of, and, and what's the value of drought-stressed corn as we look at our current circumstances? Well, Aaron, I think the first thing that we talk about in the article is, is what do you need to do with your insurance situation? So, uh, you know, discuss anything that you need to with your insurance agent. I think that's absolutely critical, uh, making sure you know you're going through the proper channels, uh, knowing what you need to do uh, before you make any decisions about how to harvest that or, or what even to do. Once we get the insurance cleared, the crop's been released, what are some other things we need to pay attention to? Thinking here about restrictions, maybe herbicides we've used, chemical what are some things to be aware of there? Right. So first, we want to see what we've applied. Check those restrictions. Um, usually, it's under a section that says grain, grazing uh, or feed or hang, and we can find what the restriction is on that. We have a section in our, in our weed guide, our Nebraska Extension Weed Guide, that shows uh, what those are for a lot of them. But be sure to go back through and see what you've applied and, and see what those restrictions are. We want to make sure we stay on label and not deviate from that. That's the, the best course of action when, when doing that. Yeah, and I will say that um, the article has a, a direct link to the correct pages on the weed guide. So that's an easy way to go and just look at the herbicide options that you might have used, evaluating whether or not it could be a potential issue. Um, again, as Brad said, it's got a lot of the common ones. It doesn't have every herbicide. Um, but it's a great uh, first place to start looking. Dr. Janowski, one of the other things we need to be aware of is potentially high nitrates in this corn. What are some things to be aware of there as we think about drought stress corn and potential nitrate issues? Yeah, so uh, nitrates are are a high potential in drought stress corn, especially corn that was being planned on um, being harvested as grain because, of course, we often put on quite a bit of nitrogen. And um, if we don't have enough uh, moisture to use that nitrogen, the plant will accumulate it as nitrates. Unfortunately, um, nitrate can be uh, potentially toxic. So the first thing we really need to do um, when we're thinking about harvesting corn as a potential forage source is uh, actually getting samples to test for nitrate. So the challenge here is a little bit that you would want to change your sampling protocol based off of how you think you want to use uh, that forage resource. So I kind of talk about um, doing two sample types. One's kind of the worst case scenario sample type. And the other one is an estimated of what you think the risk will be based off of the way you're going to use it. So the worst case scenario is that nitrates actually accumulate uh, more in the stock or the lower part of the stock in particular. 
So if you harvest the plants at, at ground level, and especially if you pick the droughtier sections of the field, you can see um, what's the highest potential risk you could have um, for that feed resource. The other way to sample is kind of like trying to take something that's more representative of the field and harvesting at the height at which you expect to use it. So if I was going to do silage or hay, you know, I'm going to cut it a little bit higher because that's how I would cut it. If I'm going to graze, I might even harvest a bit higher because I'm probably not going to try to use most of the stock or at least a, a greater portion of the stock I would leave behind. When you take that sample, the other thing to understand is that the plant enzymes and there's bacteria, of course, on the plant, they're still active and they will convert nitrate to nitrite um, once you cut it. So you've got to get it on ice. And then I suggest freezing the sample if you're going to ship it. Go ahead and freeze it for 24 hours before shipping or, you know, keep it on ice and take it directly to the lab where you want to get it tested. And the reason that's important is because we're testing for nitrate, not nitrite. So you can underestimate the risk if you have stuff converted from nitrate to nitrite. Um, so bottom line is uh, handling of that sample is important in terms of giving you um, a good estimate of what's going on. Sampling is important. Um, handling is important, but then you also have to think about what do you do with the information you get back. So as, as I talked about, if you have the two types, you kind of know, okay, if it's high with the highest risk scenario, you can decide, okay, what can I do to minimize risk? So that's where we get into talking about haying versus silage versus grazing. Silage, in my mind, is one of the best ways to use drought stress corn, especially high nitrate drought stress corn, because the ensiling process itself can reduce the amount of nitrate in there by about half if you get good fermentation. So this is where actually doing all the things right in silage uh, is really important because not only is it going to make a better feed, it's also going to reduce your nitrate risk. So if you have high nitrate stuff, silage is probably your best option. Your next best option in my mind is grazing. And that's uh, because you can do some selectivity. The, as I said, the lower stock has more nitrates in it. So taking off the leaf husk and uh, grain is, is going to be fairly low risk as long as you don't force the cattle into eating more of the stock material. So you can manage grazing to allow yourself to have some lower risk situations. The challenge is if it has a lot of grain on it, then you're going to have to do strip grazing because otherwise you can get acidosis. So management-wise, that sometimes is a bit more of a challenge. Let's talk a little about the haying option. And again, I realize that may not be something that's commonly used, but at least out in the western part of the state where I'm at, uh, we've got plants that are maybe not even quite shoulder high. Not a lot of material out there to be candid, but people are are pretty pretty challenged to find feed, and so they're looking at haying as an option. What are some things to consider with that and be aware of? Aaron, like Mary mentioned, that nitrates are accumulated in the bottom portion of the plant. So although we want to try to get as much as we can, because we're probably short feed anyway, we still need to keep that cutting height, you know, eight to twelve inches off the ground. Another thing to think about whether we're haying or even ensiling or doing anything is that after a rain 
that's going to quote, you know, break the drought. Um, we're going to have a lot of uh, potential nutrients, nitrogen moving into the bottom of that plant. So we want to wait probably three to four days after a rain event to cut it. Otherwise we're going to have even higher nitrates. Uh, so that's just something to think about too. If we are going to cut hay, leaving that extra height on the stock will actually help dry it down better too. It kind of helps airflow uh, get underneath the plants uh, because even though it may look dry, they're brown leaves, there's still a lot of moisture in those plants, especially in the stock. Uh, so it's going to take longer than we think to dry down. With that, if we have some sort of crimping on our machinery, that's the best way to do it, to break that stock up and try to get as many kinks in it and as many uh, surface areas open to be able to dry out better. Uh, so those are just some of the things to think about when when we're trying to do hay for this corn. Yeah, I would agree, Brad. I really think one of the keys for trying to hay corn is cutting high and then also making sure you have a crimper of some sort. So you may have to find find a friend who has that if you don't have one on your um, hay vine. The other comment I would just make is don't be afraid to leave it in the windrow for a while. And I think, you know, we are in a drought, which and it's, as we record this, it's still very warm. We're very dry conditions. But, uh, you know, we talk about out in the western part of the state anyway, windrow grazing, uh, leaving the crop in the field. And, I, and I'm not suggesting necessarily that people do that. But with a situation like this, we can leave that windrow laying in the field quite a while and still have a quality product, you know, assuming we don't get into a real wet spell. Again, that may be different. But I guess my encouragement would be, uh, if possible, don't get in a hurry to bail this. Yeah, Aaron, I totally agree with you. And as Brad suggested, uh, looks can be deceiving and that leaf material will make you think it's dry. But you have to remember the stock is actually the majority of um, the biomass that's there. And so uh, the stock has a lot of moisture in it. So uh, I think, Aaron, you hit the nail on the head saying, uh, you know, don't get in a hurry because I think it's a common mistake people make with these thick stemmed materials like um, corn is that they, they think it's in good shape and it's not ready yet. One other option we haven't talked about in the article is green chopping. And again, if we're in a situation where Maybe we're out of feed. We've got cows that normally would be on pasture. We're trying to get a bridge to corn residue to graze. Green chopping could be an option. Walk through with us just some things to think about if that's something people are considering. Well, green chopping is scary to me uh, if you have drought stress corn. And that's because um, the potential uh, for the high nitrate uh, is even a little bit um, it takes a little bit more care. And the reason is because if you have green chop, as I talked about uh, when you were sampling and you can have, you cut the material and then you start getting this process where nitrate gets converted to nitrite. Well, nitrite is 10 times more toxic than nitrate. So if somebody is going to green chop, they have to be sure that they're going to green chop just the amount they need and that they the amount they need is only what the animals can eat within two hours. So from chopping in the field to feeding, you don't want that um, time period to be very long because the longer it sits, the more toxic it becomes. Um, so this is 
this is not one of those where uh, you want to do two or three days uh, at a time. You really need to do it um, each day and basically only be chopping the amount that they're going to eat very, very quickly um, if it has nitrates in it. And so you should test before you decide whether or not green chopping is an option. Anything else on this topic? I know in the article you mentioned a number of resources. Would you like to highlight those and and where people can go to find more information on the topic? Well, we do have, um, in terms of nitrates, we do have a NEB guide on nitrates that really outlines a lot of the management options people have. Um, there are ways to use higher nitrate feeds in, in a year like this year, um, you know, where feed is short. I'm thinking through those opportunities to make use of it without having uh, problems, I think is really important. Um, and one of those is energy in the diet is, is uh, kind of your friend when you have high nitrate feeds. So we can think about how to, how to make a diet that will work and still utilize feeds that maybe um, have higher levels of nitrate. So I'd encourage people to go to the NEB guide and of course always reach out to us if they have questions. Um, we're more than happy to try to to help people figure out what's the best best thing to do for their situation. Another resource we have too, and we haven't talked about that in this podcast, but what about the pricing of, of this feed, right? Not everyone can utilize it. Um, some have to sell it. Some don't have cattle. Uh, some have cattle and are looking to buy this, this forage. Um, the use and pricing of drought stress corn, uh, that's another resource we have. It's a NEB guide. We also have some resources through our economics department um, that's done some work on how to price this silage and other types of silage in these situations. Uh, so I think that's another important resource to, to look at when we're trying to deal with this unique situation. I do think the NEB guide on use and pricing of drought stress corn was, was really, really useful. And one of the things that was um, quite helpful in my mind was a rule of thumb that for every five bushels per acre of corn, you would have typically about a ton of uh, silage yield. And I thought that was a pretty nice rule of thumb because it's fairly easy for most of our uh, grain producers to be able to do some estimate of grain yield by going out and scouting. And so they can have some idea of how much material will be out there um, when they're trying to sell it. One of the other things I will mention is that there's a lot of good resources on storing corn silage, and that's YouTube videos from the Silage for Beef Conference. Those are available at the beef.unl.edu website. As valuable as feed is this year, and it's always valuable, but uh, making sure we get that packed well, covered, sealed is going to really be important. Uh, Dr. Janowski, you want to speak to that and maybe some things to be aware of in terms of resources on that? Well, I do think you you really brought up a great point that especially in a year when forage is short, you want to make sure you preserve everything you can. And I know it's a lot of labor to cover, but covering is huge in terms of retaining feed value and honestly, just retaining feed. Um, typically uncovered material, especially if you have a smaller pile. Um, so if you're a cow-calf operation, for instance, and you don't have a large pile like a lot of the really big feedlots will, um, your surface area relative to the amount of mass you have is quite high. 
So covering actually will increase your return significantly. And you may be losing something like 20% of um, the dry matter that you have if you don't cover. So think about not harvesting 20% of your field. Um, that really is a great way to think about the opportunity you're missing out on by not taking uh, the time and at, you know, finding a way to get the labor to actually cover. The other thing I think is really important because this, this drought stress corn has the potential for high nitrate is everything we tell you to do to make good silage uh, is probably doubly as important this year. And uh, I would suggest with drought stress corn, considering using an inoculant, um, one of the ones that has the lactic acid producing bacteria, um, because it is a, an, a way to help increase the uh, likelihood that you're going to get a really good uh, fermentation. And again, we talked about why that's uh, very important. So pack it, pack it well, layers of four to six inches, make sure that you have enough pack tractor weight um, when you have that incoming silage. If you're using a custom harvester, um, usually they've got a big rig and you likely need to be thinking about maybe having multiple tractors going at the same time. At a very minimum, do everything you can to increase the packing capacity of your tractor. Um, you should find weights, put weights on there. If you have dualies, take off the dualies um, because you want to cause as much compaction as possible because the more oxygen you get rid of, uh, the better off you are. Uh, so I think those are the big things. Four to six inches for your layers so that you get good packing, good uh, pack tractor weight, get it packed well. Uh, harvest it at the right moisture. Uh, we haven't really talked about that. And that's actually one um, that I see a lot of drought stress corn being harvested too early because the leaves look brown and everybody goes, oh, it's drying out. But that stalk, as we said, is the majority of the material and it can be still quite wet. So make sure you're checking before you go all in on harvesting because um, you probably are overestimating how dry it is. Well, Brad, Mary, thanks again for joining me today. Appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully um, our audience finds it helpful. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the title of the article, Drought Stressed Corn, a Feed Opportunity. It's already been mentioned, but I want to say it again, that there are a number of resource links in this article that provide additional information on this topic as we discussed it.